So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Kings 22 as we continue this series, Kings and Prophets. Next week is Family Sunday. Y'all didn't bring your flashlights. This is hurricane preparedness. <laughs> Candles and flashlights. Um, so next Sunday, we're going to wrap up our series, Kings and Prophets. So Ryan Vinzant, our youth pastor, will be preaching. It's Family Sunday. We'll have like teens, kids, everybody in here next Sunday. But on the second to last message, we're going to look at the king today is Josiah, who's a very righteous and faithful king. And the prophet is not a prophet. We're actually going to find a prophetess by the name of Huldah, who is going to speak uh, warnings to the people of Judah and a word of encouragement and protection to Josiah. So the question is, who does God protect from trouble, both in the trouble in this life, but also in the uh, life to come? Who does God protect from trouble? And I don't know about you all, but I want to be protected from trouble. I don't want to go through mess that I don't have to go through and troubles and trials that I don't have to go through. So we're in 2 Kings 22. Josiah is a king. He becomes king at the age of eight. If I can make another pitch and plea for you to serve in kids ministry, this is the reason why. Is here's an eight-year-old that God uses in a very significant way. Uh, and even serving uh, the youth ministry, student ministry, because at 16, he makes some pretty significant decisions. Verse eight of 2 Kings 22. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the scribe, came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have handed it over to the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan, the scribe, informed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. So they're going to do some restoration work on the temple, the house of the Lord described here. And while doing that, they find a copy of the book of the Lord, which is Deuteronomy, I believe. And if you remember, if you go back many weeks in Deuteronomy, it clearly spelled out to the people of Israel. Hey, if you obey God, you're going to be blessed. And if you're faithful to God, you'll be blessed. But if you disobey God and you're unfaithful to him, you're going to have all sorts of consequences. And at this point, they're going through all sorts of consequences. And this is actually a foil, a comparison to last week when we looked at King Hezekiah, who is Josiah's great-grandfather. Hezekiah, judgment is coming, trouble is coming, but he, in pride said, that's coming after I die, right? And he's like, yes, that's great news. At least in my lifetime, I'll have like peace and security. And here what we're going to find is this. Look at verse 11. When the king heard... The words of the book of law, again, Deuteronomy, and this is probably around age 16, uh, based on 2 Chronicles 34. So he's a teenager. He's gotten the copy of Deuteronomy. He's been a king for eight years. He says, when the king heard the words of the book of law, he tore his clothes. That's an idiom basically saying that he was grieving and he humbled himself. He was in grief and humility. The reason why is because he said, I look at all the consequences all the pain, all the suffering, all the trouble that Judah's going through, ding, light bulb goes on. It's because we've disobeyed the Lord. God has given us a check engine light. He's warned us over and over again. These are the consequences. And so he sees the people's unfaithfulness and disobedience, and he grieves, and he tears his clothes, and he humbles himself. I don't know what you do. Consequences or people who've died. Like, what do you do to grieve? 
uh, consequences or people who've died. Like, what do you do to grieve? Maybe you are like me. So I'm the guy who probably is going down Bellway 8, Sam Houston Tollway at like 70 miles an hour, listening to like uh, Maverick City music and singing at the top of my lungs while I'm bawling my eyes out. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, God, I'm grieving. I'm sad that the situation we're in is our fault. Verse 12. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people in all Judah concerning the word of this book that has been found for the wrath of the Lord burns against us is great because our fathers did not listen to the words of this book and underline this to act in accordance with everything that is written regarding us. He says we've been unfaithful to be obedient to God's word in everything that he has written to us. He's given us a warning. Verse 14. So Hakkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, she's one of five prophetesses in the Old Testament, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tigva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe, and she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her. Why is this significant? Two reasons. In those days, uh, women were considered like second-class citizens, so for a king like Josiah, to go to a prophetess, even though he had Jeremiah and probably even Zephaniah, who were contemporaries, he goes to her and notice the profession of her husband. Her husband, Shalom, is the keeper of the wardrobe. So he's not one of the king's like generals. He's not one of the king's like chief guys. He's the keeper of the wardrobe. He's the one who basically stands guard by the king's closet and outfits the king. It's a very humbling job. And that shows Josiah's humility, that he tears his clothes in grief and humility. And now when he has to inquire of the Lord, he finds the prophetess Huldah. Verse 15, then she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, tell the man who sent you to me, to Josiah, this is what the Lord says, behold, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Since they have abandoned me and have burned incense to other gods so that they may provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. My wrath burns against this place and it shall not be quenched. Look at this, verse 18. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what you shall say to him. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Regarding the words which you have heard, since your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place, and against its inhabitants, that they would become an object of horror and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I have indeed heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I am going to gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not look at all the devastation or troubles that I'm going to bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So like I mentioned before at the top of the message, who is the one that God protects from trouble and the day of trouble? It's right there in the text. He says, or she says, since your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord, you have torn your clothes and wept before me. Point number one is this. In the midst of trouble, God protects the humble. In the midst of trouble, God protects the humble. God protects the humble. And that's this word that he gets from hold of the prophetess, that judgment is coming, trouble is coming, but God is gonna protect you. And I want you to underline this in verse uh, 20, in the middle there. All the devastation 
and your eyes will not look at all the troubles or devastation I'm going to bring. Notice he said all, all the troubles. He would still see some of the troubles, but all the troubles that come, he would not see. And this is proven by the fact that he died in 609 BC is when Josiah died. And Babylon came and attacked and invaded and took the people of Judah into exile in 605 BC, four years later. So this judgment to come, he was protected from. This trouble to come, he was protected from. So in the midst of trouble, God protects the humble. Like I mentioned last week, as we pursue Jesus, as we focus on him, we see more and more of ourselves and how good God has been and how he's given us and blessed us. So here's the definition for humility. Humility is viewing yourself rightly, depending on the Lord consistently, and obeying him lovingly. Humility is viewing yourself rightly, depending on the Lord consistently, and obeying him lovingly. That's humility. And if you want to add even from last week, and giving God the credit for what he's done in your life. That's what humility is. Humility is not a destination. It's a direction. Humility is a destination, not a, I mean a direction, not a destination. You and I on this side of eternity will never get to the point where you say, yes, I'm finally humble. I've arrived. I'm the most humble man I know. I'm the humble woman I know. I've arrived. I made it. Humility, like pride, like our noses, like I mentioned last week, just like your nose, Pride is like your nose. It's hard for you to see, but other people, it's easy for them to see. Humility is the same way. It's something that we'll constantly, as we pursue Jesus, be striving for it. Very hard to see in ourselves, but very easy for others to see as well. So humility is being yourself rightly, depending on the Lord, consistently obeying him lovingly. And again, he would see some of the trouble, but he would not see all of the trouble. Think about this. Jesus said this way, John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, because we're in a sinful, broken, dysfunctional world, you will experience trouble. But Jesus says this to us, but take heart or take courage because I have overcome the world. It's not the end of the story. So you and I will experience trouble in this world. And this is what I think about often, is we experience trouble and struggles and trials in life, difficulties and challenges, maybe with our health or family or in ministry. Sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, the troubles that we go through are caused by ourselves, amen? Natural consequences of the choices that we've made. But have you ever thought about this? The troubles that God protected you from, the struggles and troubles that God protected you from, and to know that, you know what, I haven't gone through all the struggles and troubles in my life and all the things that I deserve in terms of God's mercy. Or perhaps like uh, uh, some of y'all in here maybe trusted Christ at a latter part of your life. And you think, you know, if I had not trusted Christ, man, where would I be? Where would I be? Can I tell you just a, a very, just interesting story that happened to me this morning? Um, so I'm driving to Bay City Fellowship. There's a man in the streets, bloodied, bruised. He's waving cars down to stop to help him. And so I'm behind this white truck. The white truck sees him and just drives on. I see this guy. He's like this, and he's got big old uh, uh, cut in his head, and he's bleeding. He's like trying to stop people, and I drive by him as well because I've got to get to Bayou City Fellowship. And then I remember a story that Jesus told, I think, about someone who'd been bloodied and bruised on the side of the road, and the priest and the Levite had to get to their religious duties <laughs> And they walk right by him. 
So I turned the car around and I go and I said, hey, do you need help? And he's like, yeah, can you call me an ambulance? And I said, I got it. I got it. Just sit right there. So he sits down on the grass. He lays down, called 911, and I get the ambulance to come. And I said, hey, I'm going to be here with you until the ambulance or police or firefighters, whoever gets here. I'm just going to be right here. I'm, I'm right here with you. I said, hey, what's your name? He said, my name's Russell. So I'm just there waiting with him. Finally, the firefighters come. I've messaged our staff here, and I just said, hey, I may be a little late this Sunday. Literally a good Samaritan-like opportunities here, <laughs> you know? So then I'm sitting there, like, watching the firefighters care for him, and there he's telling the story. What happened? What's going on? And he said this. He's like, I woke up in the middle of a field. So there's a field between our house and this church. There's a field. He said, I woke up in the middle of a field, bloodied and bruised, and I don't know even know how I got there. I don't remember. And I was like, man. So he's just waving people down. But you know what? Like, I felt compassion and pity towards him. Because again, like I mentioned last week, that could have been you. That could have been me. If God didn't intervene in our lives. So if you remember Russell's his name, pray for Russell. So God has spared you from troubles. Not all troubles, because we live in a broken world, in a fallen world. But God has spared you. If you'll humble yourself, submit to him, he will protect you from trouble. I was reminded of that a couple Sundays ago, two Sundays ago. Uh, Nine o'clock gathering, 11 o'clock gathering. We had an elders meeting right afterwards. So I was in the conference room in the kids' building over here next to my office. We met as elders from about 12.30 to about 4 o'clock. At 5 o'clock over here, they had a community group leaders kickoff dinner. And at the end of our gathering today, we're going to pray for our community group leaders up front. We're going to commission them. But they had this special dinner. So between 4 and 5, I had to make a couple phone calls, send a couple emails out. After my second phone call, all of a sudden the sky just opens up. That typical summer Houston rain, and this is coming down in sheets. Matter of fact, the sheets are now going sideways. That kind of rain. That's how bad it was. And I had to figure out how I was going to get from that building over there and the 200 yards or so to this building over here without getting totally drenched. I remembered something. That in the kids' building, probably some of y'all umbrellas, there's a whole collection of umbrellas that have been left by people. And I remember seeing this giant golf umbrella in there. And it's like six feet across. And so I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get one of those golf umbrellas and walk across. And this is what happened. As long as I'm willing to place myself under that umbrella, submit myself to the umbrella, I was covered from the majority of the trouble, the storm, the rain that was coming down. But not all the trouble, because when I got to this side and we were all set up for dinner, I looked down at my shoes. My shoes were soaked. The bottom of my pants were soaked. So I was protected from most of the trouble, but not all the trouble. The reason why is because I had submitted myself to this giant six-foot umbrella. And that's what happens here. Because Josiah hears the word of God, responds in humility and says, God, this breaks my heart, and he's humbled himself, God says to him, you're going to be spared from all the trouble, all the destruction that's going to come. And again, the question is, who does God protect from trouble? God protects the humble. Those that see themselves rightly depend on the Lord consistently and obey him lovingly. But notice what happens in verse 1 of chapter 23. This is the difference between him and his great-grandfather, Hezekiah. Then the king sent messengers, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, the temple, and every man of Judah and all the inhabitants of the Lord of Jerusalem with him. 
And the priests and the prophets and all the people from small to great, and you read in their presence all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his provisions, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people entered into the covenant. So God promises him, you will be protected from trouble because you're humble. You've submitted yourself to me. If he was like Hezekiah, his great-grandfather, he said, great, who cares about anybody else? What does he do? He rallies all the people, the priests and the prophets and all the people. He reads the word back to them and he recommits himself. They covenant themselves over again to obey the Lord. So here's point number two. Though protected from trouble, the humble obey God's word. Though protected from trouble, the humble obey God's word. So unlike Hezekiah who said, hey, I'm going to have peace in my lifetime. Who cares about anybody else coming after me? Who cares about anybody else? Hezekiah says, we're going to face trouble because we've disobeyed. Perhaps God is merciful and gracious that if we were to now repent and obey God's word, to be wholly committed to him, God would relent. That's what he's doing. So he's obeying God's word. So they recommit themselves. They begin reforms. And at this point, he's probably in his late teens, early 20s. They, deal, they take care of all the idol worship. They tear down all the idols and all the high places. They recommit themselves to him in worship. They also, uh, notice this. Um, look at verse 17 of 23. This, this, is, this is what God does to protect the righteous, to protect the humble. Even in your death, even in your legacy, God will protect you. Uh, verse 16, let's look at verse 16, start there. Now when Josiah turned, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain, and he sent men and took the bones from the graves and burned them on the altar and defiled it in accordance with the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, the one who proclaimed these things. What they do, they were idol worshipers and those who promoted idol worship. He says, those men, let's burn their bones in their graves. Verse 17, then he said, what is this gravestone there that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the grave of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. Verse 18, and he said, leave him alone. No one is to serve his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. In 1 Kings 13, there's an anonymous prophet who warns the people, this is what's gonna happen. And after he dies and is buried, because of his faithfulness, because he submitted to God, even his bones are preserved. So these idolaters and those who promote false worship, their bones are burned up, but they get to this gravestone of this anonymous prophet who's never named in the Bible and said, let's preserve him. So God even protects your legacy, even in death. Um, you can write this verse down. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Summarize it says this, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Whenever you hear the word of God in a sermon, in a podcast, whenever you read the Bible on your own, if you're in Bible college or seminary or HBU, whatever, and you're learning the Bible and you hear the word of God, when you're in a community group and you're going through lessons on Acts, maybe you have just picked up a new book by a well-known Christian author, is that biblical knowledge, knowing the word of God, this is how devious pride is. This is how devious our flesh is, can lead to pride. 
But here we see what happens to Josiah. He hears the word of God and it leads to humble obedience. And I'd say the reason why, I forgot to mention this, in uh, verse uh, 19 of 22, he says, since your heart was tender and you humbled yourself. That word tender only occurs eight times in the Old Testament. It's a rarely used word. And it means faint-hearted or weak. So this is what he did. He purposely weakened his heart before the Lord. He made his heart weak before the Lord. Rather than being hard-hearted, he weakened his heart saying, God, when I read your word, I want to be so tender and soft-hearted that it makes me weep for those things that make you weep. That my heart breaks for what makes your heart breaks. So that should be our response. So again, he was protected from trouble, and yet he obeyed. Much like this, uh, I was in a friend's car recently. He's got one of those Tesla SUVs. And I know more and more cars have that. I was doing some research. Cadillac has Super Cruise. Ford has Copilot 360. Nissan has ProPilot Assist. Uh, Subaru has EyeSight. And then uh, VW has IQ Drive. Probably for smart people, right? Anyway, um, but just because your car has features that are designed to protect you from danger, protect you from accidents, doesn't mean, there's always a warning that comes up, hey, just because your car has EyeSight or IQ Drive and ProPilot, doesn't mean you live and drive recklessly. You still obey the signs. You still obey the laws, even though you are now protected. And that's the attitude of Josiah. Even though God says, you're protected, he says, we still need to obey. But I look at this in uh, 2 Kings 23, and we'll take communion here after we look at this verse. 2 Kings 23, they reinstitute uh, the Passover as well, and communion is a reminder of Passover. It came from the Passover meal in verses 21 through 25. But look at what happens in verse 26. God's going to protect him. God's going to protect you. He humbly obeys. He recommits the, himself and the people. Verse 26. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, which which his anger burned against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. That's Josiah's grandfather. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight just as I removed Israel and I reject the city which I have chosen, Jerusalem and the temple, which I said, my name shall be there. I don't know about you, but I'd be frustrated at this point. I'd probably be mad at God. God, you've said to me that you're gonna protect me. I've, I've read your word. I've read it aloud. And God, I'm just on my knees for mercy and grace. And we're going to obey you now. And they've been faithful. They've torn down the altars for idols. They reinstituted the covenant. And they said, hey, we're going to reinstitute Passover to remember your goodness and faithfulness and delivering power. And here in verse 26, it says, nevertheless, judgment, trouble still came. Here's point number three, and this is a hard one. And they obey regardless of the eventual outcome. And they obey regardless of the eventual outcome. If you are in a struggle right now in your marriage, if you're struggling in your marriage, God wants you to be a godly husband because he wants you to be a godly man. God wants you to be a godly wife because he wants you to be a God-fearing, godly wife as well. He wants to be holy just as God is holy, to be set apart, to be unique, to demonstrate your love for him through your obedience. 
But I don't know about you all, but for me, that'd be a struggle if there's not something pragmatic at the end of it all. That if I don't have a better marriage. So if you're struggling in your marriage, be a godly husband, be a godly wife. I know your desire is for the marriage to get better, but do it because you honor God. Because here's the thing, I wrote these down. Some of us will say, if not all of us will say, I'll obey God if it'll help my marriage. What's the carrot at the end of it all? The string, at the end of the string. I'll obey if it improves my relationships and my friendships. I'll obey if I get a raise or a promotion. When God says to us, obey because you love me. Out of desire to draw closer to me, to honor me, obey. I just uh, am going through Daniel right now, my, my devotions, and I'm in Daniel 6. I just finished this morning. So yesterday, I read Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 2, which I'll mention in our anniversary service. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar the king has a dream of a golden stat- a statue. Head of gold, body of silver, uh, thighs and legs of bronze, feet of iron, or legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. So what does he do? He builds a gold statue. He tells all the people of Babylon, whenever this gold statue and a horn is blown, the music plays, everyone bows down to the statue. You worship and submit yourself to the statue. Daniel at this time is probably as an envoy, as an ambassador traveling around the kingdom of Babylon, somewhere else in the world. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Jewish boys, also servants in the king's court, say to the king, king, we're not going to do that. We, we only worship the most high God. We will not bow down. What happens, the music plays. They won't bow down, and their sentence is death in a fiery furnace. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you know what happens. But here's the part I love, and the part that I pray every single one of us has the faith and the courage to exercise. In Daniel chapter 3, 18, this is what they say. King, O king, even if our God doesn't deliver us from the fire furnace, even if we're burned to a crisp, even if we lose our lives, we will not bow down. Do you have that kind of faith, that kind of trust to say, God, even if my marriage, even if this ministry, even if all these things don't work out for my benefit, how I think they should work out, God, I'm going to obey you and serve you even if it doesn't work out that way. Friends, and the day is coming as America becomes more and more post-Christian. That persecution and the, and the tension that's there as a believer is going to grow more and more. And you and I have to be willing to say, even if I lose my job, I will serve the Lord until I die. Even if it means me being imprisoned or losing my life, I will serve the Lord. Even if he doesn't deliver me, even if he doesn't spare me, even if I do lose my job. And that's the faith that Josiah has. Josiah humbly says, Lord, we've messed up. I humble myself. I'm broken before you. The people are broken before you. We recommit ourselves to obeying you, to seeking you, pursuing you. Verse 26, nevertheless. So my friends, do you have that nevertheless type of faith? That even if he doesn't type of love for God. But here's the good news, the good news. Josiah recognized troubles ahead. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably didn't have the most well-formed view of the afterlife. But here's something that we know as believers. That's why Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That the eternal trouble that faces everyone in this world, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, submitting yourself humbly and say, God, I rely on you, on Jesus Christ, you've been delivered from that. Here's a big idea for today. God protects his humble children from earthly trouble, but ultimately from eternal trouble. Not all trouble, because we live in a broken world. But if you humble yourself under him, see yourself rightly, depend on him consistently, obey him lovingly, God will protect you from earthly trouble. Not all of it, but he will protect you. But ultimately, he will protect you from eternal trouble. He reinstitutes Passover in verse 21 of 2 Kings 23. And Passover is a great reminder. And that's why at the Passover meal, Jesus reminds us and tells us and his disciples that we all suffer from spiritual amnesia. We tend to think that we made it on our own. We saved ourselves. And it's a reminder of God's great love for us. So if you have your communion elements... If you don't have it, just raise your hand in the air. We'll have one of our collective folks or staff get you one. So raise your hand high in the air. We'll get you the bread and the juice. Like the people of Judah recommitting themselves to the Lord in 2 Kings 23, 21 through 25. This is our opportunity to recommit ourselves to him, to thank him, to submit to him, to humble ourselves before him, to ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. So if you need the bread and the juice, just raise your hand in the air. We'll get that to you. Would you ask now the Spirit to examine your heart? Have you been unfaithful this week? Do you need that? But even if he doesn't, faith. Do you need that? Nevertheless, trust in God. Are you going through trouble? Humble yourself. Passover meal, Jesus took the bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, and to us, eat remembrance of me. Let's eat together. He also took the cup, and he said, This is my blood poured out for the new covenant. Let's drink together. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up. 
So if you're on the prayer team, uh, my left and right, if you need prayer for something, maybe right now you are going through trouble. Maybe this has been a very difficult season for you. You need prayer. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? My faith in the Lord is one of those outcome-based faith. God, I'll trust you if this is what happens. But you're saying now, Lord, I, I just want to trust you even if nevertheless faith. The prayer team's up here and available for you. Also on the app, if you have the Bicey Fellowship app, you can submit a prayer request. Our elders pray every Wednesday or Thursday morning at 615 and we'd love to join you in prayer. So if you have a prayer request, you can submit the request that way as well.